Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! Yeah! How are you, Kate? Good. Hot. It's so hot. <laughs> it got Angeles. really hard. Yes. Yeah. I said really heart instead of hot. Uh, <laughs> my heart is hot right yeah. now. Um, I ha- my landlord has a pool and I could dip in it, but I just, here's the thing is like, my wife is out of town for work and dot unless she's like super tired if i go outside she'll start to bark and just want to go outside she rarely barks but she's a little bad girl if i go outside so i'll try to go out her yeah if she can hear me out there like i've just tried to read outside and she's just like let me out she hears the flip of a page and she's like what the hell are you doing out there (laughs) yeah but then i don't like to go out there and sniff yeah, that's exactly what she wants to do, sniff yeah. or find poop that some random animal has left and try to eat it, and I have to stop her. God. She'll start to dig by a tree, and I'm like, I can't relax unless <laughs> yeah, you're inside yeah. with me. <laughs> just forever. Um, that's so the I, same with Poppy. I'm like, I'll just never relax forever. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, I want to go. I haven't swam because I've just like barely gotten in the pool, and she'll just start freaking out. Yeah. And she rarely barks. Could so, you put her on a leash like by the pool? I could. That's a good idea. I've never really tried to put her on a leash, like, out in your house. Yeah, I've never done yeah. like the thing. It's usually leash on walk, and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a smart little idea. That Try it out, man. Seems should have been an obvious choice. <laughs> Who knows? Dogs uh, are little weirdos, though. She might be weird on it. So uh, she's big time weirdo. <laughs> uh, big time weirdo. But we gotta love her. Um, gotta love her. Uh, well, that's great. It's hot. I hope you're staying cool. Yeah. To your best ability. <laughs> um, speaking of hot, we got a hot episode because we got three segments Woo! in addition to the story we're covering or, <laughs> or chapters of the story. This week, of course, um, we're going to be covering the first two chapters of BPRD 1947. Yeah. I'm um, excited to get to that. Um, but before we get to that, of course, as I said, we got three segments. And our first one, I'm calling it, I don't know if I named this before, if we ever had this segment. Uh, this one I'm calling it Hell to Play. Oh. <laughs> oh. What does that mean? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm uh, sure it'll still be Hell to Pay, too. Yeah, it's really yeah. going to be Hell to Pay. Um, <laughs> definitely down the line. Uh, but this is just off, just because I, I thought it would be cool to just discuss briefly. Dark Horse made an announcement recently that they are getting into the game world. Um, so Dark Horse Comics is going to be having a division called Dark Horse Games. Sweet. And it's exactly what you think. Um, This is what Mike Richardson, the president and founder of uh, Dark Horse Comics, says. He says, We've spent the past 35 years developing a long list of original fan-favorite IP with many of the best partners in digital entertainment. Now is the perfect time to expand our vision into gaming. Dark Horse Games gives us exciting new ways to engage with fans of all kinds on a multitude of platforms. Hell yeah. So a lot of people are speculating, like, of course, like, what what do they think in the world of Dark Horse comics will be made into video games first? Of course, that's people are immediately putting, I think, Umbrella Academy is up there as well because that's been adapted. And then Hellboy, of course, is one of the top just because. They've already been. Are they going to do like tabletop games too, or like strictly video games? I don't know. That's a good question. I I mean, I don't know. 
That's a great question. I'm not sure. I just think my uh, my friend Jenny is like obsessed with board games and like um, deck building games and stuff, uh-huh. and they have like tons of DC and Marvel versions of that. Like, I w- it would be cool to see, like, a Hellboy kind of deck-building card game or something like that. It would be sweet. But I'm wondering if Mantic Games will already, like, sort of right. build, to be doing that. Yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know. Or maybe, like, the... Maybe because Mantic Games spearheaded, like, Hellboy's tabletop games, right? Yeah. Because they're coming up with the... Like, if I remember right, we, we talked about it briefly. I think they're coming out with a deck, a simple deck game for Hellboy. Right. I wonder if because the success of that and they're like noticing like, well, their Kickstarter keeps selling out. People keep yeah, buying like it. Times t- yeah, times like five or something like crazy. I could see them in their little board meetings at Co- uh, Dark Horse being like, why did we not? Why are we not like benefiting from this more? You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And like, here, let's get in on it. So I don't know if it's board games, but that makes sense that it would be. It's saying across multiple platforms. So I would guess video games of some kind. Yeah, video games. But they really like have made Hellboy video games. I don't know. I'm just excited. Yeah, that a lot of things are saying like first Hellboy is going to finally be a game. I'm like it has been games, and from what yeah. we've been, from what we've Pretty seen, been told, yeah, they're bad. So yeah. maybe this will leak or not leak is the wrong word, but maybe this will lead to a very good Hellboy game or one that fans great. like something like a metal in my mind, like a a high quality Metal Gear Solid sort of like first player for Hellboy, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Where you feel like you're more emerged into the world or like what's the hit game that you loved recently? Um that oh, had, Resident Evil? Oh, Resident Evil, no, the one before that that was really popular. It has a great story. Um the zombie one. Oh, um, oh, Last of Us Two. Yeah, I'm wondering if like they'll do a thing where they like get into that where it's like, well we're gonna like adapt Seed of Destruction and these storylines into a video game for players. If, like, Naughty Dog did a Hellboy game, that would be so cool. Yeah, I think that is maybe the future of it. You, uh, yeah. yeah. And we'll have to buy it and play it. And of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll have to finally get a console beyond <laughs> Nintendo Switch. <laughs> so that, I think that would be cool. And then the one last little quote from General Manager of Dark Horse Games, Johnny B. Lee. He says... Dark Horse Comics sits at an intersection of consumer entertainment, production, and publishing. We're one of the few companies that own IP nimble enough to execute coordinated strategies across multiple platforms, and that's a huge advantage in gaming and digital. So, there you go. What does he mean? That's such a that's it's such like very a crazy businessy language. Like it's so funny. I guess it's like. We have comics. We can use them to help sell video games and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that, yeah, it's this, this is very business language. It feels yeah. like, oh, we, we are a we company. And yeah, it's like, of course we should have games because. And maybe because Dark Horse is creator owned, but they also like, you know, they own probably partially the rights. Yeah. For some of these. But is it, it's more like, so Marvel, the little I know about this business, the business end of this, you know how like Marvel over the years, like they've sold rights to many places, right? Right. So it's like, oh, even though Marvel Studios is making a Spider-Man, is associated with Spider-Man movies, it's Sony who really has control over those, right? Yeah. Whereas maybe he's saying here too, it's like, well, our all our IP is is home. It's all going to be birthed from one place, so they yeah. have more control over it to expand it. Versus like, oh, now this 
this company is going to do it, what they will with it. We'll have a little bit of say, but now we can like have control from development and upward, I guess, yeah. is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I just don't know totally what he means by the IP being nimble enough, whether it's like, oh, the IP, like the properties are so strong and established that it could be that it would be like lucrative to make it as a game as well or or be or like you said because of the ownership like right. we own it and we could like you work with enough companies to make all kinds of different shit out of it all i can say is i don't know 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. it's just so funny this like you know this like language that people use in, when they're like business executives yes i don't know business people lawyers you're like what what'd you say <laughs> I, yeah i mean whatever but that's cool though i would love a game yeah um, i would like a high quality game i think fans would love that for hellboy totally. to make you feel like you really get to be him and live in that world through a video game they're gonna love that totally so kudos to them for making that leap forward Hell i guess yeah. i don't know i would love to hear what other people i don't i don't know if i i'm not i have my books but i can't think of like off the top of my head what dark horse book i'm like that would make a great game but hey listeners if you do let us know. So that's all I can say. That's that's that segment, though. That's all we got for Hell to Play. <laughs> Woo! Our next segment, of course, is the, our one of our absolute favorite segments. We can't do it without all of you out there. It's a good old segment we like to call, Oh Boy, Email. email. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have two great emails. Um, we're going to go with the first one, which is a little bit of just a love letter to us. I'm going to call it a love letter because we, we thank you for even just... Just willing to write in and tell us your thoughts <laughs> about the show. Any response to us, we can we take as a, a love letter. letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this comes from Anthony Colstock. Um, it's his email titled "Love Your Show." So, first off, thank you. Um, he says, "Dear Kate and MDC, last year when it was apparent that the pandemic shutdown was going to last more than a few months." I decided to finally read those Hellboy comics that had been sitting in my closet for years. Oh, have nice. we? We've all been there. Oh, I have, yeah. I definitely have at least a couple of comics on my fucking shelf that I haven't yeah. read, yeah. which is so sad. He says, you see, I started reading Hellboy when Seed of Destruction was released in 93, but somewhere around Conqueror Worm, I missed several issues. Eventually, I started to purchase new issues again upon release, but only read a few of them. For the most part, I would just bag, board, and box them and say to myself, one of these days, I'll pick up those back issues and read the series from the start. I'm kind of a completionist, and this series is so special, it deserves my full attention. Yeah. 100% agree with that. Like, and I've done it's that so too. It's so easy to, like, lose track, like, you know, or you have, like, a month where you're like, I probably can't spend money on this right now, and then you just... You know, it the rest of it gathers dust because you're like, well, I don't want to start it. I don't have the rest to finish it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I, I'm with you there. Um, a hundred percent. He's. I mean, I think that's the only reason I might have. I um is I remember Hellboy in Hell coming out and I picked up a couple issues. So I was like, oh, I'm behind. I'll wait for the omnibus. I got the library edition, of course. It's still as I've already stated is in fucking plastic. <laughs> all you Hellboy fans can be like, you're not, you're not a real Hellboy fan. I'll be like, whatever. No, you're trying to keep it pristine and mint. <laughs> and mint. And you're reading it on 
hoopla. Yeah, and also I was like, then I start, we started this, and I was like, well, I'm going to wait until we get there. Yeah. <laughs> so 100% understand. The maiden voyage of that book. Yes, with you. Yeah. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> but then Anthony continues. He says, with more time on my hands last year, I was ready to search for those back issues on eBay and finally get some closure. Good for you also and just like wanting to read them from those back issues and not just yeah. sell out like me and read digital. <laughs> <laughs> but I desperately needed a companion to read along and enhance this 20 years in the making experience. Enter Aw crap, another Hellboy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> After listening to a few of your episodes, I decided to purchase the library editions, editions basically at your recommendation. Awesome. Uh, they're just so gorgeous. Why not? <laughs> yeah, they're nice. Um, I even started reading the BPRD omnibuses to get the full Mignolaverse experience and follow along with you. Awesome. Yeah. Recently, I finally caught up and even passed you. Good for you. <laughs> Don't wait on us. <laughs> uh, he passed us on the Hellboy timeline. With that said, this is a good time to reach out and share my appreciation for all your efforts and enthusiasm for Mignola's amazing series. Well done, crappers. Aw, that's so great. <laughs> yeah, I love these goddess crappers. <laughs> Putting a tear in my eye. <laughs> I've always considered Hellboy one of my top three favorite comics, but you have given me a new appreciation for the series. Thank you. Awesome. Aww, thank you, Anthony, for listening at all. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for putting, writing us. Thank you for putting up for any of our uh, missteps. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and I only mention that because his next paragraph is pretty special. He says, Kate's synopsis of each issue is entertaining and insightful. Her um, on a onomatopoeia, is that how you say that? Onomatopoeia? Yeah, her onomatopoeia of every boom Gobble, cackle, and door creak always gives me a laugh. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and another, and other than Ron Perlman, there is no one that can imitate the inflection of Hellboy's speech and humor like she does. Oh, man. There you go. Put me a, make me a voice actor in the video game. <laughs> I please. I'll voice Hellboy. Hell <laughs> Let's get It'll through It'll be like Bart. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And then he says, I'm also from Pennsylvania and recognize that PA accent from the start. Oh, hell He's, yeah. Ruin, Mount, Mountain, Rasputin. Mountain. <laughs> Mountain. Rasputin. <laughs> so there you go. I love I, that. So many friends are like texting me about Mayor of Easttown. They're like, <laughs> is that what you guys sound like? I'm like, kind of, I guess. <laughs> Every show will like make it. I mean, they hit it and then they enhance it right <laughs> yeah i think she you know it's like funny to me I, I love kate winslet but it's like you know she's kind of all over the place because it's a sticky disgusting accent so <laughs> you have to like <laughs> you know there's a lot to it so For sure. i don't know i love but that. it's but everybody else you know you can hear that it's like oh they hired a local actor to play this part or something because they sound you know they've got that southeast pennsylvania mush mouth <laughs> mush mouth i love it which i'm proud of you know i say it sounds like i hate it but i think it's beautiful yeah, beautiful i, I think it's it. fucking beautiful dude i love it <laughs> <laughs> well and then he says you know at least you have that and it's a region based mine my what he's about to touch on is just my brain he says prop <laughs> props to mdc for not giving spoilers away cool thanks yeah uh i try my best it's um, hard yeah but you know what? You just got to stay away from them. This this yeah. podcast is about us going through it, 
as if we're like reading discovering it, discovering it. it. So for sure. thanks for acknowledging that, Anthony. And then he says, your pronunciation of words has become part of the charm of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love. And then he says, in quotes, I love that, as you would say. <laughs> I do say that a lot. <laughs> so thank you. And then he said, and then his f- final comments are, I'll save my comments on past podcasts and storylines for another email. Just wanted to say thanks. Best, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. Oh, thank you, Anthony. That's and so I, nice. It's such a nice email, and I honestly cannot wait to hear your thoughts on past podcasts and storylines. I cannot wait to get those emails. Yeah. Yeah, everybody feel free to email us if you're like, oh, I'm way back here from, like, something that we did in, like, 2019. Like, I don't care. We'll still talk about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would love to go back, especially because we've come so far. It's going to be, like... Right. It would be a nice, like, refresher to, like, dust off our brains about the older stuff that we, that, you know, we read, like, a year ago or two years ago or something. Exactly. It's Hell yeah. Great stuff. Thank you again, Anthony. I like your pronunciation of stuff, by the way. It's because your brain is, like, faster than your mouth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know the word, and then, but sometimes just your mouth has trouble saying it. Yeah. I've, you know what I mean? Since I was, since I've been a kid, and it's, even when I act, and it's, my, I go too fast. I, Jessica's uh, the same way with stuff. Like, I think it's just, like, she's dyslexic, so maybe it's something like that, where it's, like. Oh, I'm probably a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Where you like your brain registers it, but then it's like you try to write it or say it and it comes out differently. Yes. A hundred percent. I have that issue. And like, yeah. yeah. But it's not even a problem because I know I always know what you mean. Yeah. And so do the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> See, they love it. It's part of the charm. Part of the charm. I mean, it's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> I'm glad you guys like our weird shit. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, stuck in us. It's not. Yeah, we're never changing. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> I never uh, grow or change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have one more email before we move on. Um, this comes from regular emailer, uh, great um, host of uh, Screw. It, we're just going to talk about comics. Um, he's one of the Heinz brothers. This is Kevin Hines. Yeah. Uh, big fan of his emails. Big fan I love of when show. Kevin will like, he'll like warn us that he's going to email. He's yeah. Like <laughs> messaging on Instagram. Like I might email you guys about this. Like, yeah. Like, I good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you come at us, come at us. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we deserve it. It's uh, funny. I love it too. And I like that he, he, he typically does. Uh, he listens uh, one. Thank you he, again for somebody that also has their own podcast and then is listening to at all any second of ours. Like kudos to you because I understand like it's hard to do your own podcast and then also re- re- listen we to others. Email them. Uh, I, I did email them briefly. <laughs> I, 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 when you were reading Fantastic Four with them. I definitely did a couple of times when I was reading Fantastic I, I'm behind on their reading because I fell behind because they've been jumping around a lot. Yeah. So I need to catch up or just like jump in on their next thing they're doing because they are great and I really like their thoughts. And when they cover your emails, they're very fun. Yeah. I sent them an email recently, even though I had not been listening to the, the – I'm not up to date on listening with them. Uh, sorry, Kevin. And – um. But I was like, I saw that they that Sony has casted Aaron Johnson, Aaron T- Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Craven the Hunter 
for like Spider-Man or a, a Craven movie. And I was, I had to just immediately email them and go, what the fuck do you guys think of this? Cause it's weird that Craven, if you know, do you know, you know, Craven the Hunter? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess Why? he's young for Craven in my mind, but maybe. But he also not. isn't, Craven's like a Europe, like I, I, I feel like he's, yeah, it just doesn't feel like the right actor to play Craven. <laughs> I don't know. I guess he's, I'm Googling him and he, I'm seeing him with like a beard and like slightly longer hair. Like, I guess. I, <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not convinced yet. <laughs> as long as he wear, I, I want. I'm curious what a like movie version of that costume is gonna look like. You know, right? Because that's such one of the wilder costumes, and you know, and Spider Man has like crazy villains with like insane costumes. But yes, you know. I'm wondering what a modern version of that will look like. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, he could prove me wrong, but... Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, he just, just seems a little young, but maybe, you know... He's maybe not, I don't... Yeah, the he's, older I get, the younger actors look, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely... He's grown up. He was kick-ass, so... I don't know. Prove me wrong is all I have to say. <laughs> But that's that's a whole other podcast. That's the last time I emailed them. It's an email that probably never needed to be addressed. <laughs> but this is the email from Kevin, what he has to say. And it is titled The Black Goddess. So it's coming off our major uh, storyline we just covered. Mark and Kate. Great work on discussing Black Goddess. Man, BPRD is such a fun series and so completely insane and huge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Last time I emailed you, after the warning, I mostly talked about Johan. Well, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Johan enter the walled city, leaving the soldiers outside the fight to fight the various frogs and underground creatures with their Yeti monk allies and the recently in the recently formed fire dragons? You seem to take that as Lobster Johnson's influence, which I hadn't considered. It makes a lot of sense. But also, I think it's a part of Johan's loss of humanity. I wonder if Lobster Johnson caused it or took advantage of it, or if I'm just reading into it. Before we move on, I want to say, I really like this take, what he's about to read. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I associated it with it, and maybe that's just me like giving a little more hope to Johan. <laughs> well, Johan, when he's excluded from the crew, like when the monk like points to them and is like, you, 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 and you come in. Johan takes it, kind of has like a little affront to it where he's like, what? I I don't come in. Like, I'm a member of this team. But like, I think he's, I think you could say, yeah, it's like both Lobster Johnson influencing him and his own desire to be with the team with the rest of the BPRD while they go do their like, you know, that's like the A team. That's like the crew you want to be with rather than taking care of the Yetis and stuff, which like the rabble are doing, you know, the like yes. other guys. Yes, I agree. And I think he's touched on this too, is like, I think what you're talking about, like his, his being singled out and feeling as he's already stated, like a loss of humanity. Yeah. And like, it's like, then he definitely has lobster Johnson, whether confirmed or not. It's like, that's his in right to take control. Cause if he had more control or, I I don't know. It's complicated. It's ne nothing spelled out in the comic, which is not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, they really like, especially with Lobster Johnson stuff. It's like he's just like a ghost who's kind of around, but yeah. has like more power. 
Like, I wonder if they'll go into more specifically, like, why Lobster Johnson's spirit is so tight. Like, you know, maybe he has, like, just a fucking years of unfinished business kind of a thing. Or, totally. you know, your classic ghost reason for sticking around. Yeah. That could be it, where he's, like, knows a lot of shit to help save the world and wasn't able to fulfill that in life and mm-hmm. has to do it through, like, other channels and shit. But I guess, you know, he's there in the doorway at the end, so I assume we'll learn maybe a little bit about that in the next installation of BPRD. Uh, I don't know. Most likely. Well, that's just what Kevin has to say. Let's hear it. When he first leaves, he talks to himself. Why do I feel guilty? They have no use for me. And the colonel and the others, they are better off without me. Seems like a guy who who, who does feel guilty. I mean, he snuck off. He didn't say, I'm going in and seeing if I can find a way out of this. He left. Mm-hmm. But as the colonel mentioned the pre- in the previous issue, when it's all over, your ghost just flits on over to your spare containment suits. Johan continues to be treated like a freak, a tool, yeah. a thing. Yeah, this is a good point to call out. Because they yeah, yeah. these last issues, these last storylines, starting really in warning, he's very much being used as a, a tool, a thing. Especially even by Abe. Yeah, that's got to hurt. Yeah. And he says, not a part of any team. Not not a part of any team. He's left behind. He's still reeling from the loss of his body and the destruction of his hometown. He's not human. He's never felt less human. Totally. So, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely yeah, I think totally this is playing agree. in a lot. I think he's, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's right on. And it's interesting and it gets complicated. And this is probably, probably why I'm, I, he has more to say, but it's complicated because it's like, is he being influenced or he's become vulnerable enough to be influenced? Because you're right. As we already stated, Abe, Abe and others have tr- trying to treat him sort of badly. But that decision to leave him behind isn't made by Abe. It's made by the monk. You know right. what I mean? Nobody it, protests, though. Nobody's like, we're a team and we go in. You nobody know? protests, for sure. No one protests for him. It's not like you know, he's not being treated like one of the team members like Liz. Like, we're going to stop at nothing to get her back. Right, right. It's very complicated, which is good about it, is that it's complicated. It's not clean cut like, oh, he's angry because of this. It's like, oh, this is complicated. Some people are treating him bad, but also is he is react is he reacting to it properly? It's great in that sense. Yeah, yeah. That's all I have to add to that. <laughs> uh, but then he continues, of course, Kevin. He says, now he gets through the maze easily, and I guess that must be Lobster Johnson guiding him. That makes sense. Maybe he just knows it. You know what I mean? Or yeah. he could follow. Like I mean, to me, I'm like, oh, he senses energies and shit. He's like a an empath in that regard. Like he could. To me, it's like, you know, if we're playing the video game of this, he like there's some like trail of like their spiritual energy of like the rest of his team passing through this maze or some shit. like Yeah. That. It's like almost like, you know, like that Donnie Darko, like goo trail that yeah. comes out of people like kind of some, you know, something like that, where it's like you press down on the right trigger and it shows you like the footsteps where Abe walked or some shit. Like it's kind of like he senses the spiritual energy coming, you know, going in whatever direction and follows it. Or yeah, I think or Lobster Johnson just um kind of having a I don't know, Lobster Johnson's like kind of everywhere. Like you know, Johan's sort of a ghost too, but Lobster Johnson's a ghost in the sense of like more more like knowing more about maybe like no like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And I, 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 I think this is a good place that, and why I think I 
Like I'm excited for the next storyline and why that we've kept reading these and being excited is because it has left us with that a, a good curious I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, but not in a way that's like I'm not satisfied with it. Yeah. Yeah, because you're right. Like it could just be that he, like he sees a different side of this mystical world that we're not, we're not given like a point of view shot of it. But right. he could easily just get in, maybe. Because yeah. Lobster Johnson technically has never been here, right? No, no, yeah. So it's like, why? So. How would he know the maze? But also, he's a spirit and all these things. Yeah. Um, who knows? There's a lot of complications. Yeah. And, but uh, Kevin continues as well. He says. It's very odd to otherwise talk about this maze and not have any repercussions from it. But when he's approached by a monk and he stabs the monk, is that Lobster Johnson or Johan? I kind of think it's Johan. He'd been wanting to kill Daimyo. He's not feeling human. The murder is him sliding further away from humanity. It's nicer to blame Lobster Johnson for this killing, but I also don't want to let Johan off so easily. His character yeah. is very interesting. And that I is interesting. I do, and I want to call out because I think I love this his phrase in this email where he said, "It's nicer to blame Lobster Johnson, but I don't. I also don't want to let Johan off so easily." And I'm like, "Right." right. I think I'm guilty of letting um, him off. Just being very empathetic to <laughs> yeah. yeah to I think Johan. I'm just guilty because he's so fucking pathetic at this point. Like he's lost his second human like body, like his chance to actually be human again. And he was like overjoyed to have it. And then it's ripped away from him in a super violent way. Mm -hmm. And then his, his team is super fucking mad at him. Like, <laughs> you know, you do want to feel you want to be like feel for him because he's just getting like, you know, ass beating after ass beating. And then it, I don't know. you do want to feel for him. But yeah, it's like it could be his decisions. Like he said, it's like a loss of humanity on not just for not just like in a sad way but in like a yeah in like a potentially like violent way i think it's a great thing you're pointing out is like both of you you and kevin is like your reaction can go either way you could be like oh we can we can have emp empathy with him yeah but his reaction we don't have to have empathy for his the way he decides to react to it right, right of right. his like loss because he could be aware of his anger and then not do it yeah but if he's going to act on it, it's like we could, we could be empathetic, but then also be like, hey, man, you f you fucking up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it comes to like him being violent, it's like, there, you know, it's like, a, you know, if you want to go sulk in your room and like look at shit that you used to like when you were a human, that's one thing. If you want to stab someone to death, that's another thing entirely. Like, you yeah. Know? Yeah. He's he said it right. His character is very interesting. And I agree. Totally. I'm very curious where we're going to go from here. Like, again, I'm. I just want to reiterate, like, that's why I think we love these so far is that they just keep building like these characters. Like we know, like we love the, where they, where we were introduced, but they just keep growing and changing. Yeah. And I just, it's a great achievement from Mignola and Arcudi to continue to In do that. In ways that make sense too. It's yes. like you, you watch or read some things and like, you know, they'll swing for the fences and like have a character do something that's surprising, but in a way where it's like, does that make sense to the character? But this all, you know, like there are different interpretations of it, like the way that we initially interpreted it and the way that Kevin's saying. But it both of these theories make sense. Like if yeah. either of them was more right or whatever than the other, either way, I would be satisfied because it's like it's within the, the character and it's justifiable. So it's still satisfying to read and surprising. 
BPRD rules. It really does. Yeah. Like, it really does rule, especially for something that has such just like large action sequences, which some comics yeah. that have that or just other mediums can feel empty, right? Because they're just spectacle. Right. But man, this thing has a great balance of spectacle and this emotional yeah. growth and in introspection on characters there's uh, there's just such depth to it that's not just spectacle and i love that yeah. um he says kevin he says i might be reaching and i want to say we're all reaching and that's what's, what makes this good is that arcudia yeah, and yola they're they've, they're planting seeds that forces us to to, to look at it more right. <laughs> and uh, as you already said kate like not leaving you like unsatisfied just leaving you in the place of going like wait what why what why did he do that let me think about yeah. it yeah. <laughs> which is like funny because in real life not to you know equate this comic book to the real world like people do shit weird shit big or right. small in real life that we go we try to figure it out thinking? we have doc <laughs> yeah we have documentaries about them and we go why did they do that and we yeah. try to explain it but really when you come down to it, it's like we'll never know because you're not in their right. head <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, I love it. And he says, <laughs> he says, I get a bit tunnel visioned about the BPRD characters in Arcudi's writing style that never overtly lets you know what's happening, which we've mm -hmm. been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Uh, and he says, anyway, looking forward to you two discussing King of Fear, which is next in the BPRD, which unfortunately we won't be covering until next season, as well as 1947 and Vampire. Of course, this episode is 1947. And then he says, if you want more of Arcudi, he's doing a book for Image right now called Two Moons about a Union soldier who's also a Pawnee man whose heritage starts to get him in the starts to give him the ability to see things others can't. It's great so far, like most of Arcudi's work. Great. Sweet. I'll definitely check that out. Oh, yeah. uh, again, it was called Two Moons. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin, for another great email. And these are, <laughs> I love all emails, but I love the ones that just get us talking, especially when they're like counter to maybe what we thought in the moment. I love this. Yeah, I stuff. feel like we're having a conversation <laughs> with these emails. I know, but that's it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thank, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Anthony. Everyone that has yet to email or will be emailed, thank you. Um, and remember, you can email us and share your thoughts. Um, on anything that we've covered um, on any prior episode or the episode we're going to be that we're in currently. Again, you can email us at ah crap, a hellboy podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So that was it for Oh Boy email. But we got one more segment before we get to this um, covering BPRD 1947. This is a segment of more Mignola. And this is just because. On this last week um, prior to recording, Dark Horse, I'm pulling this just so everyone knows, um, for my sources, Multiversity Comics. Um, so, and this is in their Mignola-versity uh, segment, uh, Dark Horse unveils Hellboy in the BPRD 1957. So they have new um, series of one-shots that are going to be coming out, which... I believe kick off on the first one, which is called family ties will be released on September 15th this year, 2021, um, which was also going to be all the covers are going to be by the artist Lawrence Campbell. We um, haven't gotten to Lawrence Campbell's run when he, he, he is an artist that will be part of the B, BPRD world. So we haven't got to him yet, Kate, but he's going to be doing the covers for these as well as the first story he illustrates. 
So it's just like this cover looks cool. Yeah, the one with the house, the like suburban yeah. house. Yeah, it's a very fucking cool cover. I agree. The ominous energy is like this. I love the totally. one light source on the cover. Yeah. Ugh, it's, it's like great. a little exorcist vibes, but from like a 50s like rancher house. Yes. <laughs> Digging it. Yeah. A lot to dig there. So all the the series of one shot of one shots or five of them in total are written by Mike Mignola and Chris Robertson with different artists on each story. All of them will be colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, and of course featured cover art, as I said, by Lawrence Campbell. Um, the first one is The Family Ties, which is illustrated by Campbell as well. Um, this story sees Hellboy and the BPRD agent Susan Shang answering a distraught housewife's urgent pleas for help, unraveling the mystery of a disturbing unwanted house guest might lure the occult investigators into exactly where they wanted to be, but also straight into the heart of demonic danger. Ooh, love it. Yeah, it's very cool. And then just so I don't know any of these artists, but I'm excited to see their art. The second story is Forgotten Lives with artist Stephen Green. Fearful Symmetry with Allison Sampson. Falling Sky, illustrated by Sean Martinborough. Um, From Below is by Mike Norton. So, and this is what Chris Robertson had to say in his interview with Sci-Fi about these new issues and storyline for the 1957 is, Hellboy and his fellow BPRD agents have tackled menaces, large and small, over the years. But this time, they're moving into somewhat unfamiliar territory, he said. He said of Family Ties in particular that it is a domestic horror story that takes place almost entirely inside a normal suburban home where things have taken a very abnormal turn. Sweet. So yeah, and it says there's things that we haven't touched on, and myself included. It says, while each story stands alone, they will be continuing the occult Cold War plotline that began back in Hellboy and the BPRD 1952, which cool. I don't think we'll be getting to those, at least oh, not, wow. yeah, maybe next season we start the, the Hellboy and BPRD, but I, I have to double check. Yeah. But they'll be wrapping up the, the help, this these one shots will be wrapping up the 1950s Hellboy and BPRD, but they say the Cold War will continue into titles set in the 60s. So a lot going on that we haven't touched. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very cool. So there's more Mignola and more Hellboy. You can't stop him. You can't stop him. Hellboy and stories are just going to continue on until Mignola is in a grave. <laughs> <laughs> Probably after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> until they want to stop making money off of Hellboy and BPRD. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So that's very cool, everybody. Make sure you get those in your, you know, on in your holds and yeah, at your local comic book store, Hellboy and the BPRD 1957. Woo! Yeah! All right, that's all of our segments for this episode. Now let's get into the storyline that we're recovering. That is BPRB. B- <laughs> that is. Be right back. Be right back. <laughs> that is BPRD 1947. Um, yeah. I'll hand it over to you, Kate. Um, yeah, written by Mike Vignola and Joshua Dysert. Hell yeah, Dysert's to back. <laughs> love them, yeah. Illustrated by Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. But you are twins. By- I just want to point out they are twins. And apparently, this is a very. Not. I was looking them up. Yeah. Twins comic book artists is like. There's a couple of them in the in the industry. I can't come off the top of my head, but I was shocked that there's multiple twins that are in the comic book industry that work together. As like, I think it's like because they're from Brazil, right? Yeah, it's like, like we it's like South often. American, like yeah. There's like a few South American <laughs> twins. twins who are like doing badass comics. Yeah, it's amazing. 
It's awesome. Um, yeah. So and and the art is really cool. I, I really like. Um, yeah. You know what they do here. Colored by the man Dave Stewart. Lettered by Clem Robbins. Edited by Scott Alley. Boo! But who knows? You know, maybe he's on his boo being good. Boo! Boo, <laughs> boo to your past. Boo to your past. Sir. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot of growing to do. Okay. Originally published um, back in between July and November of two thousand nine. And yeah, you want to talk about this cover for the first issue of 1947? Yeah, it's very cool. Um, Mignola is doing a really cool, creepy color cover. I like it. Yeah, we have um, snapshots, like black and white photographs of Nazi officers, but they're, you know, they're skulls, like they're mm-hmm. skeletons wearing the Nazi uniforms. So, you know, we got at least five dead Nazis going on here. Um, one is torn and is obscuring the face of like a gaunt face. So you don't quite know, you know, exactly who's, who that is. It looks human. It could be like a victim, like a Holocaust victim or something like that. But I think Um, it's, I, if I'm correct, I think it is who will, which is cool after reading it. I think it's Baron. I think it's Baron. Baron Koenig. Koenig, yeah. Yeah. That's my guess. Well, he's also, we also see the owl. Which is um, him, yeah. Which we know is his, like, what he changes into, which is so fun. Like, I love this, like, white owl. I do too. Kind of, like, white hair um, look that he has. Just, like, some classic vampire stuff, but also, like, some surprising stuff in his design, like, I think is really neat. Yes. You get a cute little kid Hellboy. Yeah, he's a little adorable. He's like adorable and rugged. You know, he's definitely running around. He's like a little know, scamp. A little scamp on the fucking on the on the ground. The military base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then of course you have uh, uh, Professor Broom there behind him, like almost like a little like family portrait, but then surrounded by all this ominous shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's know? it's interesting that like he, that Stuart gives him this the gl- the red glow almost coming off of. Hellboy on the cover. I found that very interesting, that choice. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, I mean, it still looks like they're posing similar to like the way that like these other guys are posing, these Nazi officers are posing for a photograph, but these two are like a family and then they, but they have this, you know, this kind of reddish hue cast on them, which is either like, I I, I don't know, I guess it's more colorful than if it was just like some sepia tone. Yeah. Like. Uh, kind of like aged photograph look. Yeah. It's definitely more red, especially for Hellboy. He's got the yellow eyes, so it's like colorized or whatever. To me, it's just like he, it's like Hellboy is a cute little kid, but he's growing up around all this serious shit. Yeah. You know, scary stuff. So it's like normal and commonplace to him. It's part of his family is dealing with this stuff. Like literally there's like a little family portrait in the middle of these Photos of dead Nazi officers and <laughs> in, in the shadow of a vampire owl. So it's like a uh, really cool, really cool composition for the cover, as always. Yeah. And maybe like the red is like, for lack of a better term, like the red that's coming onto Broom is like Hellboy in a good way is like influencing our broom, yeah. right? He's taking him under his wing and he's a su- he's treating him like a son. That definitely is like an influence affecting, affecting yeah. his way of looking at the world. Cool. I mean, I, that's a guess, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a total valid interpretation of it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I love this cover, but again, I'm just going to say I wish I, I wish I like I, I love the coll- uh, the collection version. It's very beautiful. But like the the. 
looking at the cover cover that 1940 the placement of the 1947 in the shadow of like yeah in the, the silhouette is so cool and i just love it yeah as always i think that the graphic design is as much a part of the cover as the drawing itself it's nice to see the drawing but it's like yeah i i am still interested in in the other elements of the cover like what would i've seen in the comic shop when i was buying it yeah and i love that the bprd is like a it's like on the foreground you know what i mean it's not being yeah. obstructed it's like the owl wings not like going over it yeah something. it's just that's yeah. a choice i like it it's just yeah. Coloring's so I mean, cool. you know, I like seeing the art, too. It's like, I guess they're trying to provide something new. Like, they're trying to be like, this is a, con you know, if yeah. you've already purchased these, this is something that is different and might entice you to buy this new version or whatever. But, yeah. yeah. I like to see both, for sure. Same. It opens up in Nuremberg, Germany, the American zone. Soldier uh, gets off the train and is like, yeah, we've got some... Nazi officers who were trying to flee, mm -hmm. basically, and but we caught them, so they're gonna stand trial. Oh wait, they're completely eviscerated inside <laughs> this train car. Um, you know, guts hanging out. It's like a whole. It's a whole scene. What a gruesome splash page. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. It's like literally the second page. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay, this is hardcore. <laughs> With like, you know, we see some like bloody handprints and like blood smears on the wall and stuff like that. Yeah, like they were trying to get away, but even though they couldn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like Broom says it later in the issue somewhere, but he's like, yeah, he somebody was trying to make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was like, fuck you, Nazis. Which, you know, hard to argue with. Yeah, which will be an argument actually in the issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, it cuts to the Air Force Base in New Mexico where we have Broom's office. He's got, he definitely has like, at least the Black Goddess has some kind of like face mask or something on his back shelf there. He's got like various, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, kind of like sculptures and masks and shields and like. Uh, daggers and stuff like hanging around his office yeah wherever he goes he just surrounds himself with yeah, artifacts he has trunks full of artifacts that he has to <laughs> dust off he's drinking a little whiskey he's looking at his good buddy who we lost in 1946 oh poor guy yeah yeah <laughs> i think that's who it is right like that's supposed to be yeah like, that's what i would assume I, i'm sad yeah. i can't think of his name right now i mean we had this because problem when we were literally reading the book <laughs> So bad. Should we pause it for a second and find out no. the name? <laughs> I mean, no? we can. Okay. Um, I'll find it uh, out while you keep going. Okay. Professor Broom's just drinking in here, pouring over, you know, pouring himself into his work, looking at files. And then uh, he's pouring over his files, and then Vivara shows up just out of the shadows, emerges. And she's like, hey, you know, nice office, basically. Like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Kind of like <laughs> creeping in. Yeah. I like this. Um, I like this Vervara you're playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Let me get my Russian accent out. Yeah. And she's like, she's just kind of seeing what he's up to. Like, what are you doing? You're playing military man, you know? And she's kind of just asking about Hellboy. Like, have you found out more about what is going on with Hellboy essentially? And he's like, yeah, he's just a boy. Now's not the right time. And she's saying like, oh, I, I know what you're looking at. And you see the file with the, the scene from the train car with all of the dead Nazis with like vampire bites and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And she's like, hey, you know who's doing this? You know, just like confirming probably what his suspicions are that it's Honig. Mm -hmm. And it has a cool interpretation of a panel that we saw in the in. 46 men will pay as like kind of holds up his 
his like splayed hand, his fingers like kind of splayed out Mm -hmm. with the like fun rings on every finger. And then it has like a great dynamic like owl flying towards us um all men yeah like you get this cool effect of like almost like it's a flash like if you're staring right at him like it's a flash of transformation and it's so kinetic through his mind yeah yeah and just so it's like it's like yeah you you know who did this because back in 1946 when when koenig appeared to them like when they found the 20 vampire bodies that were still there and like the hundred were missing Mm -hmm. that's when koenig shows up and is like oh sure like Vampires are bad, but Nazis are worse. And, you know, humanity has to pay for the atrocities they've committed kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he's it seems like he's doing that. He's continuing <laughs> his quest to do that. Yep. I just want to and, really inject real quick. His his, yeah, yeah. his good friend, who he's the picture is, is Dr. Howard Eaton. Dr. Howard Dr. Howard Eaton. Eaton to guy. be forgotten over and over <laughs> by us. Sorry, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Howard. Eaton. He was a great character too. Like he was really Yeah, fun. he was. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, Broom, it seems like he's had a couple of drinks. He's like not in the mood. So he's like, We're done talking, Rivara. I'm tired and you absolutely cannot be here. I guess he's worried that like you know, somebody from the U.S. military would show up and be like, What's going on? Yeah. Um, as they'd consider him like a spy and yeah. A traitor if he saw him interacting with this Russian operative. <laughs> yeah. And she says to him, you're uh, you are turning out to be more human than I had hoped. Like she's like sad. She's pouting. As she yeah. Says it. Like, Her big blue eyes. <laughs> she's like disappointed in him that he's <laughs> showing humanity. Like she liked that. he, You know, she, it's like a playful thing. It's but it's funny as, you know, as we know, she's like a demon inside this little girl's form. <laughs> yeah. And this is so cute. Little Hellboy pops in with his pajama pants on. I who are you talking it. to? <laughs> hey, who are you talking to, Dad? <laughs> I love this little face. Like, it reminds me of, like, um, have you ever seen all of the other reindeer? No. Like, it's like a Christmas, I guess it was a book, and then, but it was like a Christmas special that Matt Groening did. Oh. Where, like, it's just like, it, it's, but it's, it's, anyway, it's really cute. I forget the artist's name, but. The face kind of reminds, like, this really stubby little nose <laughs> and this, like, elongated mouth and stuff. It's just super cute. You know, and Broom's just like, oh, sorry, to, you know, I'm not, I'm talking to myself. Did I wake you? Let's go get you a glass of milk and, like, hold Hellboy's hand as he brings him back to bed. <laughs> He's just standing there in his little jammies. It's really cute. Yeah, I love the jammies. I think the jammies yeah. are great. And it's that, a great touch. It's a, yeah, and it's a great way of, like, just quickly... Showing, like, he's a child. Like, literally, he said it, and then now it's just like, yeah, Broom is straight up choosing to treat Hellboy simply as a child, not a demon. It's just Yeah, giving him humanity. Yeah, love that. Yeah. I like how they're depicting Broom's hair. It's kind of like, almost like this, like, ruffled paintbrush, like this kind of <laughs> shock of sticking up hair. It's it's really fun. Yeah. I, I, um, it's a good call out. I think it is yeah, great. Yeah. It's it, like one of my favorite things about this one and it also like get, keep it keeps us like we've evolved like he's seen some shit right like he'd already seen right. some he's getting a little mad professor like a mad scientist yeah not, not like not like totally crazed or anything but but on edge right like he's now yeah. like realizing that like what he's now part of is this bigger thing and it's like it's like oh the world is sort of crazy and you don't have time to do your fucking hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like this thing of, like, academics having, like, ruffled crazy hair, you know? It's like, yeah. even in, like, 
something like Rick and Morty or like um, <laughs> I'm thinking of Independence Day, like the scientist from Independence Day. Yes. You know, it's just like a thing of like a scientist like being too consumed by their work to care about their hair is a fun characteristic, like a fun like not I wouldn't even call it a trope, but it's like definitely a thing. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a trope, but tropes are there to help us. Not They're not 100% negative. In a fun way, in like a good way. I like it. Yeah. And then we see the next day, Broom is talking to um, uh, a colleague, Margaret. Yeah. Who is just discussing the vampire attacks. She's like, yeah, this is a fucking mess. <laughs> oh, this is where Broom says, yeah, he's making a statement, Margaret. And she's kind of like wondering why Broom is so agitated about it. Like she's right. got these files for these guys who will be recruited by or, you know, will have joined the BPRD. And she's like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to keep getting funding for following around people who are murdering ex-Nazis. Like, it doesn't seem like a huge priority to stop a person who's doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, and Broom's like kind of insisting that they still investigate it. I like this line by her that Margaret says, I was in London during the Blitz. You weren't. You can't really understand what, what it was like. All this dead Nazis, it's just things balancing out. Like, she's kind of like, who gives a fuck if something or someone is murdering Nazis, basically? Yeah, I think this is a very cool, very interesting scene right in the middle of this. Because yeah. um, it is, it's like, why even care? Like, why? It's nice to call that out early in this story, too. You know, I think, obviously, like, Koenig presents a bigger threat to humanity at large beyond just Nazis. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that he would stop at that. Like, I think he detests humanity yes. in general. So I think, like, Broom maybe recognizes that and, like, saw how fucking crazy it got with the vampires last year. So, <laughs> you know, that's why it's still a priority. Maybe she doesn't, you know, see why it's a problem now, but... It could snowball or something like that. For sure. So he like, yeah, he like insists. He's like, he, but he says it in a way that's weird. He's like, that war is over, Margaret. Now the files, please. So I guess, you know, obviously referring to World War II, but it's still like a, it's like a weird way to say it almost where he's like, I guess referring to a bigger, larger war against humanity, maybe. Yeah. And also I think maybe without it going into this, but I think it's also like, yes, Nazis are bad and they do need to be brought, you know, to justice and so forth. But with the war ending, I think there's also you can't lose your own humanity in just saying like, well, we can just get rid of them. You sort of if you know what I mean? Like the war's yeah. the war's over. So they it's not like you just continue to keep like people that might have blindly been lost on a, the wrong side you can't just then like i don't know you can't just then continue to be like well shit well fuck them you know what i mean you gotta like it's gotta be some reform i guess i don't know that's my thought just some chance that these evil men could like redeem themselves or some shit not even redemption but like it's like the th the idea that like oh or at least stand trial stand and like trial justice or something people that could change that are like not exactly the nazi like maybe a low level Soldier that just sort of was like, I, you know what I mean? You don't know if every single one of them has the same thought, the same thought process the as Hitler. Of that, yeah. Or even if they knew, you know, I guess like that's, yeah, that's like Broom's idea of justice is different yeah. from 
what Margaret's expressing here. Yeah. She thinks it's totally justified to kill them in even if it's in this violent way without like judgment by fellow man or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like, I think both sides are pretty convincing. You yeah, know? and I think that's why we, it, it is. They're both it's convincing. Why, that's why it's an interesting book for sure. I like these files. We get like some nice like black and white pictures yeah. as though we're looking at the file of these early BPRD agents. They're also, they're, they're just really fun. I'm just going to read them because they're I think they're worth reading. Jacob Stegner, survivor of Normandy, declined for intelligence service after a war due to poor psychological evaluation. Transferred to the BPRD. Yeah, and you see him in front of a concentration camp um, looking pretty dour. Like, yeah. a really, like, slender guy. Like, a super thin guy smoking a cigarette there. He's, like, seeing some shit. Yeah, he's, um, he seems the most... He's a stoic of all of them. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of see that in, I think, in the second issue. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more why. Um, Simon Anders, Merchant Marine, spent 24 days in the South Pacific alone in a lifeboat after his ship was shot out from under him. He's not military, so no disability. Applied for service after the war and got sent to us. And he's sort of like a, you know, he this picture of him, at least, is kind of like happy... He's like on the deck of the ship before it gets blown up. Obviously. Yeah. He's got like a slight smile. Like I think that like I like the style for these guys. I think it conveys a lot with like few lines, which is, you know, I mean, that's like a standard Mignola thing. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because that's the he's the chipper. I mean, other than the next one that is coming, he sort of does have some life to him, as you said, like a little bit of life. And happiness, yeah. we know that's moments before shit changed for him. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, like, nice little moments of their personality. Like, they're, it's really good. Yeah, like, I think... I don't know if this is Gabriel or Fabio. Is one, like, the penciler and one's, like, the inker, I would assume? I think so. I think it's that kind of situation. I would have to... I would need to look up a little more and just see how yeah. they work that way. I bet that's it. I bet it's something like that. But yeah, I think they do a great job conveying a lot of personality with just these quick little pictures. Then we get Frank Russell, Bomb and Mime Disposal, African Theater. Exemplary, exemplary record. Offered an officer position with any intelligent org after the war. He chose us. Which we'll see in like the second issue as well that he kind of is like, did you guys see any weird stuff while you were... <laughs> yeah. In the war, so clearly he saw something fucking weird. Yeah, for him, weird enough for him to be like, "I'm gonna choose this paranormal like investigation like branch," as opposed to like any other intelligence agency. Yeah, because he clearly could. He had his pick. He was like really good. You could see him two thumbs up as a bomb explodes <laughs> behind him. Yeah, um, he likes explosions. <laughs> yeah, he likes finding them. I guess and. Yeah, so it seems like he's he's good at what he does, kind of a thing. <laughs> um, then uh, Gabriel Ruiz, uh, U.S. Marine Raider, jungle warfare specialist, attempted unsuccessfully to sue the Marines for discrimination. He refused to retire from the service, transferred to the BPRD. And you see him, like, you know, waist deep in, like, jungle foliage, and he's with, like, a trusty German shepherd and stuff. And he's like sneaking around under, you know, in the jungle. Yeah. Which he'll tell us a little bit about too. So just a badass soldier who clearly, you know, maybe wasn't recognized for his efforts because of his ethnicity. So it's like just like a bunch of guys who are like were treated differently by the military are coming from, you know, their own unique places. So it's like a cool mix of people yeah it's like a classic dirty dozens like 
mm-hmm. ragtime team sort of tropey moment that's really fun and, and like yeah sets it all it's up. always good yeah and it, it, i mean for this kind of it makes sense for a department like this it's like a new department it's fucking weird you know <laughs> yeah. it's like not as respectable or you know at this point by uh, i would imagine as other intelligence departments or something sort of like an x-files situation and she even margaret even says it's a bit of a damaged crew we've plenty of academics on our poll list professor and he's like no we need guys who have seen some shit because <laughs> it's gonna get weird i'm sure yeah he's like they need to, he's like no not unless they're light brains with machine guns <laughs> yeah because otherwise you know he would just go or something Right. They really make a point to also she makes a point to call out like Simon Anders, like there's something different about him having been lost literally in the in the open sea and just waiting to die. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Very Or at least that's how she's taking it. Like I'm sure if you're lost at sea for forty five days, you're like trying to stay alive. You you gotta right. be doing something to keep yourself alive for that long. Yeah. And then so it cuts over to they're already in France, they're on like this uh you know, cobblestone street. Um, the four of them kind of like chit chatting a little bit, uh, with the narration of broom kind of like going over what they're, what they're looking into, which is a Um, solid way to just to get us going, you know, don't, don't, don't waste time with introductions. We already got the paper version. It's like they're already recruited. Like we know, you know, we have enough backstory on them. So let's, they just get rolling right into it. So they're investigating Baron uh, Baron Koenig by way of this party that he hosted, but it's like a party from 1771, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's like a long time ago, and there was a composer who saw the par- uh, who went to the party, wrote this horrific opera based on it that was so offensive that the audience burned the the building down, <laughs> which I kind of like googled for like t- twenty seconds to see if it was like based on something. It it very well might be. I couldn't find it. I when I think I did a search too, I couldn't find like a reference to this situation. Yeah, like I bet there are like a lot of like macabre kind of like uh, operas at the time or something, but I I didn't find one that specifically was like it drove the audience mad and made them burn down the venue. But it was cool. But it reminds me of like what's the famous writer that's was. Oh God! What is his name? The famous, like an opera, like playwright or something. No, he's uh, when I when we figure out his name, uh, the movie The Quills is based on him. <laughs> I'm so Marquise de Sade. The Marquise de Sade. You, oh yeah! Oh like, yeah! Yeah. I feel like he is sort of an example for this, right? Somebody that creates literature that's. Everybody he's like just, a libertine, like he was just fucking everyone, right? Like yeah, and all he pretty much was just writing pornography that the the masses just turned on, right? Thought it was disgusting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that like this kind of thing could like build gross, on that. and then they kept reading it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then like I think he did Solo, 120 Days of Solo. Is he the author of that? Which is supposed to be also grotesque and. There's a movie that Monstrous. if you look at the if you read up on the movie, I've never watched it, even though I'm curious. The the like the film director I think is murdered for making the movie. It's insane. <laughs> but I think that they just you like these can sort of be archetypes in historic history of like yeah. these characters like just like uh, something so grotesque that it it inspires vi- immediate violent reactions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's what they're gonna go check out. 
And you see them kind of walking down um, like a narrow old French street. They're going to check out the house where the party took place and just see what they can dig up. So at first they go to like a little pub and they're sort of really getting to know one another, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just kind of, you know, talking about like the circumstances that landed them there. Um, Simon, the one who was like lost at sea, brings up that Broom made sure that they had access to a library and they're like, yeah, we just went across the ocean and the last time I was here, a fucking war was on. So I'm going to drink a little bit and hang out. So Simon is the only one who gets up to leave and look into whatever broom left them at the library. Because he's like, yeah, well, that was specifically what he sent us here to do. So I'm going to go do it. The rest of them are like, let's hang out here and see if we can pick up some French girls or some French dames specifically. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the 40s. <laughs> so funny. Which is fun. Um, I, um, before we move on, I love that yeah, yeah. When, they're, when they're chatting, I love the language of when I saw that Lugosi, which is I assume is just referencing Bella Lugosi, Bella Lugosi yeah. stuff, I just about busted out laughing. It's interesting that they're like. It's just funny to set up this thing of like they'd rather just sort of maybe waste time doing R and R stuff than really get well, to the mission. Well, I think it's like I they think it. it's ridiculous, yeah. or or they're trying to like kind of measure what everyone else in the group thinks of it because mm-hmm. they kind of you know as they start drinking they start to reveal a little bit more about themselves. So there might be like walls up where it's like, yeah, this is funny that we're here investigating vampires. This is crazy. Yeah. So. But it's also like, what do you guys think of it? Like that kind of a thing. Yes, totally. I love it. And then, yeah, yeah, then one of them just like, I'm out. I'm going to go do this job. And they're like, whatever, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun. We'll see you later. (laughs) And then Simon's walking like dusk has fallen. And you see like a black cat like crossing, you know, from in from our perspective, crossing in front of Simon. Yes. So that's not looking great for Simon already. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't have gone out on your own. <laughs> some dour looking townsfolk looking out from a window, at, you know, just at the town. And as Simon, he walks past like a bird tied to a post above, I guess maybe a little clock. Or a, yeah, yeah, like I maybe can... a clock, like a cuckoo clock, but with a real fucking bird tied to it. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> A bat is looming over him and swishes down. He sees a quote, which I uh, like carved into a door, which is just a Bible quote. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But in French. So he's like, I like this little part. The next panel is him kind of trying to translate it. Mm -hmm. He's like, Carle, the mom, Voltaire, like, you know, saying it to himself, because. Because the demon, your enemy, uh, you know, he's like, he doesn't, he's not like fluent. So he's yeah. kind of like riddling it out in his head, which was, I thought was really fun. He looks down at the black cat, which now literally crosses his path and hisses at him. Then the bat comes down and flaps at him. And, you know, just the animals are being a little ominous right now. He finally comes to the library. There's like a few figures. A I have a question men. for you real quick. What's up? Did the cat hiss at him, or does it hiss? Does it hiss the bat away? Oh, maybe it hisses the bat away. I'm just curious because that's what I when I first read it was like the, the cat sort of stopped him, yeah, the, from yeah, getting yeah. attacked by the bat, and it's just this weird moment because the cat doesn't continue hissing; it just sits back on, down and it's like looks up at him, and it's like mm-hmm. it's like almost like a you're it welcome. relaxes once the bat <laughs> goes away. Yeah. So 
It's very in a nice, like, little smug way, the way that cats like to do. Yes. (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're totally right. So that's interesting because I don't even know if that really comes back later, but it's interesting to, like, ooh, the animals. Yeah, like maybe some things here are going to help him and a lot of things are not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're totally right. Cool. Well, it's just a fun. Fun little moment. So yeah. great. On to the library. <laughs> On to the library. I I I like the like brush strokes in here, like the the library floor and even on the like librarian's face and stuff like that. Yeah. I think this like the inking is really cool. Yeah, the library is like inhabited. There are people in here. Yeah, it seems normal, but open yeah, late. Simon yeah, it's like just a late library. There's little lights on. Simon walks up to the librarian, says you know, uh, you got something for me here. He pulls out a very old-looking book, which is always ominous. An old tome. And it cuts back to the bar. They're kind of exchanging war stories, like quick little synopsis of, like, the worst shit that they saw during the war, which is, you know, yeah. sounds rough. Frank talks about, like, his time in Tunisia. It was a big mess. And then uh, Gabriel talks about uh, being stuck in the jungle in... Solomon Islands. yeah like Japanese patrols and he's like I can't believe I made it alive they try to ask Jake about his worst experience but he be, he like survived D-Day so it shows it like cuts to his memory which I like how it kind of the way that the panels are situated here like the bottom half of the page is basically pan, like borderless no real panels and the color kind of seeps up into the background of the panels yeah. before it in a way that it's like the memory is like, you know, Jacob's memory is he's recalling it and it's nightmarish, you know? Yeah. And it's like seeping into the conversation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. In a way that's like, you know, it's like saturating the page with color. It's like it makes it so that it's like in Jacob's head all the time. And it's just something that he'll probably never shake for the rest of his life. Just watching you know, all of these people die, drowning and fucking limbs ripped off. I, I looked up what these, I, I always saw these in like war movies and stuff. These um steel beams that yeah. are all attached together. They're called hedgehogs. And they're there for like, to stop, basically to like rip holes in ships and like landing craft and stuff that would uh. try to like, you know, if like a big boat full of soldiers was trying to get dock on the beach or whatever, not dock, but like, up on the beach it would like rip a hole in the hull and stop the boat from getting further in and they would like put lines of them out for uh, during like low tide and that way during high tide like if a ship tried to approach its hull would like rip into these things yikes that's why like probably when they drop i mean from saving private ryan like they stop so laid out and like people right just like they can't get any further oh scary stuff um yeah, it's fucking crazy. I, I I just saw them and for some reason I was like, you know, I've seen these in like so many depictions of war in like war movies and stuff and I never knew what they were. So I finally Googled them. Hey. Hedgehogs, I, man. Hedgehogs. Thank you for the research. I also saw this thing that was like some American soldiers would like weld them to the front of their tanks. Whoa. Pick them. Yeah, it's like so gnarly. So, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's on the beach in Normandy and people are begging him to kill them you know this like soldiers like kill me he's got his fucking arm blown off so of course jacob is like i don't like this game and i'm tired of bumping gums (laughs) like he wants to go home 
<laughs> basically he's like not going to talk about that shit that's when frank brings it out he's like yeah well i'll tell you something else up in those tunisian mountains i saw stuff weird stuff <laughs> you guys see anything you know strange like during the war like kind of trying to like yeah. ease his way into it where it's like Oh, okay. What kind of monster did you see in Tunisia? <laughs> yeah, I'm um, like, I want to know. Somebody ask him. <laughs> yeah. But they're sort of like, you know, like uh, Gabriel's like, yeah, everything's strange there. And every day since has been strange. Like, it's going to just be like that. Yeah, war is um, fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Simon's looking at this book. He's looking at like, I guess Carnival of the Damned uh, is my loose interpretation of, you know, Carnival del... Uh, they the condemned, condemn, yeah. condemned. I'm sure, yeah. you know, condemned or damned. And he's like taking little notes. A woman approaches him and is like, oh, you're reading about this opera. Oh, man. You know, you know what happened to the opera house? It was burned down and the playwright was left in a, an asylum to die. <laughs> it's a really sad story. Um, but we should celebrate the art of creation, you know, whether people, you know, you shouldn't burn down a every opera house just because you don't like the opera kind of a thing and simon's just like i i don't know i'm not much for art like he's you know he's kind of like not giving her much i guess but he's also not being like he's not like dismissing her and telling her to fuck off or something yeah she says a man who does not care for art is a man who is dead and then he responds and no with a image of him on that lifeboat floating in the middle of the ocean yeah very interesting to flash to that yeah, he goes, no, no, I'm alive with this very, like, like you were saying earlier, like, stoic kind of a look, which I think is really great. That little, like, three-panel thing of him. Just, you know, it's like, a, he doesn't say much, but it's it's heavy. Yeah. You know, where he, like, had to fight to survive for 43 days or whatever it was. You know, he's like, no, I'm I'm not dead, I'm alive or whatever. So she, he's kind of like, he's scrutinizing what she's saying i think in a way where it's like he's not like he's not brushing her off but he's not totally like falling for you know he's not like completely being swept away or like in in entranced by her to a degree where he is like completely losing himself yes so yeah that's a great way to put it like he's not because i mean as we'll see in two seconds she's like seducing him to a degree or trying to and he's like not totally falling, you know, he still has his wits about him. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot at play, like just bringing up like, it's interesting that like we had a conversation with those three guys and they're like talking about what they've seen in, in war. And yeah. then his is just this loneliness of survival on this boat without him knowing it. He's having it triggered by this woman. Right. And that's what's interesting is that is that part of why he'll eventually get influence. You know what I mean? Because he does. He has seen he was he walked very close to death, just like any of them that went to war. But yeah, something there that interesting that I can't really put my finger on. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're on the right track for sure, though. I think that makes sense. Um, Yeah. And she's like, hey, have you seen the house? Um, (laughs) Come on, Simon, let's go look at it. And he's like you know my name like he's kind of like clocking these little things that are weird but he still goes yeah i think too because he has a mission so he like feels compelled to do that and you know maybe he is like a little seduced by her but he still like he still has his wits about him a little bit she takes him out to 
a boat, which sucks for him. Probably. Yeah, I was like, that's a little much. I love the color change once they yeah, go outside. This color change is really fun. This kind of like foggy, almost like psychedelic kind of like purples and greens and stuff like that. I think it was really neat. Yeah, you immediately like, are like, this is a little unreal, a little like, yeah. Yeah, otherworldly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, meanwhile, at the pub, it's getting pretty late. I like these little like drunken kind of dots around them. To, like, yeah. This visual representation of their like kind of being a little wasted. <laughs> and two French guys are like, hey, we overheard you saying that you're trying to go to this chateau. That shit burned down a long time ago. And then it cuts back to Simon approaching a fully, you know, a completely like pristine version of this house that these French guys are saying, oh, that shit burned down. Yeah. So you're like, something's going on. Yeah. And I love that last uh, page. Yeah. Particularly the colors. Dave Stewart's really putting us in an other something very mystical. It's like a fantastical. Yeah, totally. Totally. I love it. Yeah. And I like how the darkness is at the top. Like it's like pushing back the the the, the sky. Mm-hmm. Like the actual sky is like dark, and it's like this the way world. it's like being revealed. Yeah, I love that. It's really cool. Along with like the water is dark and being hell yeah. The ripples. Ooh. Just this brush. The brush effects are really nice. You have this like dry brush in the air that's kind of like misty, and then you have this like really hard line for the water effect. It's really nice. Yeah. Ooh, what a pretty yeah. image. Totally. Pretty. That's the end of one. That's maybe. chapter one. Let's just keep <laughs> it going. Chapter two. Yeah. Chapter two. Another really cool cover. Yeah. Cover. <laughs> I like that this cover matches also similar to the pose that the woman who has a skull who seems to have hair that's made of smoke in the center of this cover is yeah. similar to the 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 page of the opera Carnival Day uh, Condemned. Timonis. Yes, yeah, yeah. I love it's like that that's almost identical. The demon with the key, a little bit of wings. I love that that Mignola used that. I don't know, I don't know what came first. If like the Fabio and, and Gabriel. I bet he's inspired by some, you know, some drawing, some etching from the 1700s or something. Yeah. But I'm very curious if like did Fabio and them, like Mignola said, like, I love that with this the opera in the in the page. Like, which came first, this cover or the page in the comic is all of the ca- carnival? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very curious which one I bet of those. they talked about it. For yeah. sure. And then I like that the in the same place where there was, like, a gaunt face in issue one, the face is now, like, almost like a complete, like, a, more of a skull or a carving or something with, like, chips out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Simon in the foreground looking concerned. Just a little bit. Forlorn, yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, the devil holding up the key and the chateau in the background and stuff. Really cool stuff. Yeah, a lot of great images in there. Ooh. Yeah. And then as we as we start in the second issue, we get right to it. Like, this woman is showing Simon, like, oh, see how beautiful it was? And it looks like the party is happening right now. Like, we have this, like, just a ton of, specifically, like, just women. Like, yeah. super well-dressed women you know and almost like a like they're not wearing masks but some people there are wearing masks but they're like in this kind of like very fancy like masquerade sort of dress yeah um i i'm gonna say from here on i absolutely love dave stewart's coloring through this this mystical world 
Yeah. The, because there are some, there's some haunting images that are going to pop up, of course. Yeah. But the idea of like the colors he chooses to use, like even the brick, I love that purple that the brick of the chateau has in the warmth of the light. It makes it go like, yeah, it's un, it's un- otherworldly, but because it b- because of the warmth of these colors makes it completely welcoming. And you're like, right. yeah, it's like you can see why someone would be drawn to it. Um, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, it's like beautiful and. You can see why Simon would still want to go there, even though obviously something's amiss. Mm-hmm. Like I like these um, kind of really um, stark shadows that some of the women are casting on the wall. Yeah, that, like the shadows look really monstrous, and but they're like you know, yeah, just like pretty women that are <laughs> hanging out down there in their Victorian kind of clothing. Yeah, and there's um, like, and it's cool because you're like, I don't, you don't see a light source. Yeah. Which is uncomfortable too. <laughs> and the woman who he was following, her clothes change immediately as she steps onto, like she goes onto the steps of the chateau and her clothing changes to match everyone else's around her. His stays the same. Simon's clothes stay the same. And then they like entered this huge grand ballroom. It's like a big party. All of these women are around and then kind of like butlers or like servants and they're all wearing different animal masks. One bumps into one of the party goers and she smacks him like, <laughs> you brushed against me, Cretan, and like smashes his face and like the his mask flies off and his face is like haunted and like undead looking almost like. Yeah, pruned out. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, he just looks like. Yeah, he looks. He looks like if he if he's not dead, he's close. Yeah, kind of thing. I mean his eyes are dots. They're not like yeah. so sunken. In like sunken, yeah, eye sockets. Um, but the woman Simon's with is like, does barely really acknowledges it, but acknowledges it, but in a way that's like, ah, isn't that cool? Like, (laughs) uh, suffering and smiling, have some wine, Simon, Uh, you know, with a big emphasis on that. It's like, "Mm, if a vampire offers you wine, just say no. (laughs) Yeah. Say no. He, he says no. He's like able to resist her coaxing with this kind of thing. She's like, take it, take it, drink it. He's like, I can manage without it. One of the other women at the party sees that the woman who Simon, who brought Simon here, uh, Katharina, she's like, oh, yeah, you brought this guy. Oh, he's uh, he's great. He's handsome, but his eyes aren't stupid. And (laughs) you want to be my friend? Sure. Why not? Like, so he's like still there. He's like he's like hesitantly playing along with their shit. Yeah. And this is where we established that they're sisters, too. She's like, this is my sister, Annalise. Yeah. Ooh, okay. He's like, yeah, well, I'll hang out here. Cut back to the other soldiers. They've, like, closed out the bar, and they're walking home singing a song. I tried to find this song on YouTube, but I couldn't. Oh, damn. I mean, I found it. It exists. It's definitely a song that, like, existed from that time. But it's, like, I couldn't find, like, an actual audio version of it. But, yeah, Frank (laughs) is, like, singing this song about, like, how Hitler sucks, basically, like yeah. a fun soldier song about Hitler. And they're just kind of being like loud and boisterous. Uh, Jacob is telling them to like, you know, can it. They're trying to sleep around here. Or, or uh, excuse me, Gabriel says that. And then Jacob, like they, the two of them pass by a woman surrounded by cats. This like, she looks like a beggar. Mm-hmm. But Jacob gives her a coin and keeps walking. And then we see her eyes up close and they're bright orangey yellow. And she looks fucking haunted as yeah. shit. So who knows what her dealio is. Who I'm knows? sure we'll find out. And with the cats, I mean, is she associated with the cat? With, that Exactly, yeah. Like the cat in the beginning 
like you said, seem to be helping Simon. So, you know, she might look a little spooky, but maybe she's going to help them. We don't know yet. Meanwhile, back at the party, it's turning midnight. Everyone's like, yay, the festival, let's go. And they all leave. Simon turns and takes one last look at the the men who are holding like the drink trays and stuff who are still like, you know, their faces are covered by various animal masks and they just stand. They seem to stand like stark still. Yeah. And the one who got smacked in the face is still there on the floor. And then Simon's kind of whisked away. He drops his notebook, which I'm sure will... You know, we see in a little bit that they'll use that to kind of find him. And then these women start flying up into the air. They bring Simon along with him like, la, 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 this is great. And then uh, meanwhile, the next day, bright and early, Jacob and Gabriel wake up Frank, who's hung over his shit, of course. Uh, They're like, yeah, Simon left and never came back. So we got to go find him. It's time to stop fucking around. (laughs) Meanwhile, it's like still the uh, cut back to where Simon is the festival these women all start singing of course all of these like nicknames and things that we've heard when witches are referring to hecate yeah and so they're like dancing with goats and frogs and it's like okay these witches are having a party for hecate isn't that great <laughs> um yeah which is uh it looks really cool it's it's just great and they're like yeah oh my god hecate she's so great simon you would you would think it was really cool you're gonna see what that opera writer saw when he came and hung out with us as she's saying that someone we know koenig walks up de Grigny is this one a poet as well he's kind of this like dapper looking vampire as usual He's got a crew of vampires with him, a bunch of pale guys and gals who are like, (laughs) you know, slinking around in the woods, kind of emerging from the trees. One of the like the one woman vampire is like, why must you children spoil things by bringing humans among us? Like that kind of like aloof, like vampire kind of situation. They're like, uh, you know, and the witches are still smiling like, please, you know, we'll uh, keep our secrets close. So it's, you know, it's not looking great for Simon. Simon's kind of just like looking at them, scrutinizing them a little bit with his expression here. Yeah, and I, I, lo- yeah. I love this whole back and forth because they just like, Simon has, weirdly enough, gone along with all this crazy shit. Right, but he's, kept kinda, his, he's there for, to figure out what's going on. Yeah, he's kept it pretty, because what he'll, he'll start talking to them like, just an investigator like he doesn't he's not like overcome by them it's very fun and interesting yeah he like stands up to them in a way like the one vampire is like oh nobody will believe him even if he gets out of here alive and you know because people don't believe in our kind or something you know something that effect simon goes no you're wrong Uh, (laughs) to which the the woman who spoke earlier well the animal speaks like you know so that you can see exactly what these vampires think of humans <laughs> and he's like guess what some guy named koenig is walking around and making a big stink and now all these humans are aware of it and of course one of the vampires is like oh really uh what do you say about that baron koenig who's like right there so now simon knows. i love the line too from the one that's like the human has suddenly become an interesting addition to our gathering it seems uh-huh. they're such pompous to each other <laughs> yeah and I like Koenig's expression here of this like sneering, um, like his eyes narrowed, looking at him, being like, what are you, what the hell are you talking about kind of thing? Yeah, and kind of like, you're um, ruining my night. <laughs> yeah, like I might have to kill you. And then we have, we cut back to the other three 
BPRD agents on a boat. I like the one guy, like uh, Frank handing Jacob the cross, and he's like, I'm Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't gonna work. (laughs) Yeah. um, What the hell does that have have to do with anything? I guess it can't hurt. So they're just kind of like, they're like being, they still kind of think it's a little silly. Their boat operator is a little shirtless guy with a cross around his neck. Yeah, really funny. He's kind of funny. Big forehead, big head. Big head guy. Almost Um, looks like a, uh, I'm going to say, he almost looks like a a tiny little like Dick Tracy villain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then they come to the chateau. It's completely dilapidated. It has been set on fire the roof is caved in and the trees around it are all dead it looks nothing you know not even close to its glory that we all saw when simon approached it yeah they're like oh yeah i bet it was gabriel says wow it's kind of beautiful out here like this on a gorgeous day it's like it's the worst fucking day with like fog all around it looks horrible (laughs) yeah everything's like covered in cobwebs and the chandeliers have fallen and they're chips out of the marble and you know, the place is fucked up and they look around, they find Simon's scrapbook. So they know he was there and you know, you see kind of their different approaches. Jacob immediately starts screaming for Simon and Gabriel's (laughs) like, wait, we got to think about this. Then they uncover a cellar door and start going right down. They're like, this is a fucking bad idea. They come across two coffins, obviously, of the sisters that we met earlier. They're like stone carvings of the sisters <laughs> on the lids of the coffins. And that's the like cliffhangery moment, the last page of that one. I love that. And I love that it ends with... So cool. Those are freaking coffins, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, those are freaking coffins. Oh, shit. Now what are we getting into? <laughs> I wonder how, like, I wonder if they can't say fuck. I feel like... They've said, I feel like, have, have they ever said fuck in a Hellboy comic? No, like, and I think in general, I don't know what the rules are comic book wise. Is it similar to like when a movie's PG-13, you get like one, like is the rating system, if you say fuck one time, it's like now you have to put this on a higher shelf and like kids can't buy it or something? Probably. I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know like their rules or if they're, who's making that decision. Like, you know, like movies are run by the fucking MPAA. In yeah. regards to that, because a lot of times they're clearly they say freaking like twice in here and it's like fine. Like it doesn't take me out of the story, but I it does make me think about that for a minute where it's like, yeah, you know, a soldier. If you had a foul mouth soldier who's saying fuck, that makes sense to me. I don't know. Just something I thought about. No, I think I, I think it's a good thing because a lot of times we've read other storylines, like especially through the last BPRD story of of the black goddess there's moments where like they're clearly being vulgar but it's usually like doing that classic thing where it's like just symbols whatever those are called when yeah yeah when you block it out it's like oh they said fuck right, like or, the tasmanian devil or something yeah it's like they said fuck it's just it's represented by like a pound sign and mm-hmm. exclamations and stuff an, ad, an exclamation <laughs> yeah. point yeah whereas like this they're just saying freaking so i don't know and maybe it's just like yeah. maybe they're like which one is saying freaking so much? Which one? I'm trying to think. Well, Frank says it in the bar, and then I think Gabriel says it. Yeah, I don't know. That's a. So it's like, you know, both of them are saying it. It's just. Um, different eras, I maybe. I don't know. Like, you're trying to. I'm sure it's something of like a set, like in order to sell the comic under some certain. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have the answer. Like a, uh, yeah, I don't. 
I don't know either. Just if anybody knows about that stuff, like what the rating system is, like if it's similar to like an RPG 13 kind of a thing for movies. I, I'm just curious about it. I am too. I'm sure I could Google it. I won't do that. But so far, this is a fun uh, addition to continuing the BPRD 47, like 40s. Yeah. Very fun. I, I like, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I really like you said, like the art is very different. From from the prior forty six, but it works for yeah. this, especially. Be- I think they have a challenge too of bringing in these new BPRD members who are like, you know, they're they're really they're a fun group. They're like familiar but distinct enough that they don't feel like copying off of some other thing. You know, you yeah. see a lot of like war movies and especially like World War Two movies, but it, they still feel like distinct characters in their own right. And like, yeah, they're still like interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's what you have to remind yourself, too, is like this is the early days of BPRD. They're not like this giant headquarters. Yeah, there's no established like they don't have fucking tanks coming in. <laughs> yeah, it's just these guys with like a little guy pushing the boat into the, you know, it's like they kind of have themselves. And they're sort of kicking the rest of the group is kind of kicking themselves for letting Simon go off on his own at this point. Yeah. And like Broom's just like now getting to a point where he's like, well, I got to send these people because I have other shit to deal with most likely. It's like, I can't deal with that vampire thing, but it needs to be taken care of. Yeah, it's like (laughs) you'd be outnumbered. Like he went and his friend was killed the last time he kind of poked around with soldiers. And, you know, librarians with machine guns. It's better (laughs) to have like actual soldiers looking into this shit sometimes. Definitely. But yeah, and I think it's a cool story to kick off early days of BPRD. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I, I welcome this idea where like they really are embracing in the story, Dysart and Mignola, of like these guys weren't aren't prepared for this a supernatural world. It's not like I, right. I think a lot of times what we get Like they've got crosses and silver bullets. Like they've got kind of a little bit Yeah. They're like, right. this is what we've been told will work. They don't have like like even if they all have experience with supernatural phenomena you know only frank's really admitting to it blatantly like where he's like i saw something weird but he doesn't even really elaborate on it beyond that yeah like they're still scared to even talk about it amongst each other yeah and i think that i like that because i do think there's a lot of times we get a lot of these stories which are fun of like oh what if like there was a bureau back in the olden 40s they always seem like the, the the trope is a lot of times in comic books in, in other media, but like they're they're fully equipped for it, right? It's just like it was a secret society, and they like had the top notch technology to take on monsters. I love yeah. in this, they're just equipped with the things that you would have had at that time, and they're yeah. trying their best. And I, I I don't know, they're not prepared. Even that last, like we're like they're survivors, <laughs> and that's kind of it. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I even that moment at the end of this these two issues of those are freaking coffins are they they're like what the fuck did we walk into? Right. They're like <laughs> oh wait is this shit real? <laughs> like he called they called it like Lugosi kind of stuff earlier yeah. so it's like they're laughing about it and like drinking and like maybe being like oh this will be you know the government's paying for us to go hang out in France. It'll be fun. Yeah. And then they see the coffins and they're like, uh, oh, no, are we going to have to fight vampires a little oh, bit? Shit. Oh, no. We're going to have to acknowledge that some shit's real that we don't, right. that we didn't want to acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. Are we about to get our fucking worlds collapsed right now? Yeah. And I like that. 
Yeah. Rather really cool. than the, what we typically get, which is just like the overly like, yeah, like a guy that like opens up a fucking wall that's like, yeah, I got all this fucking tech to take down a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Like this feels like a true beginning to the the Bureau. Like a tr- yeah. like you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Broom's going to have to like deal with the repercussions of like, I lost these men because of this, and but keep building this Bureau. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. Yeah, I, I guess that's the thing, too, is, like, you know that in the BPRD, at least in the, like, 80s, none of these guys are around. Yeah. So that's pretty ominous for them. I really like, um, panel-wise, I like when they're waking up Frank and um, Jacob puts out a cigarette in this ashtray. And it's, like, a cool sort of, like, Dutch angle almost. Yeah. Where it's, like, you're looking from an extreme low angle up at these guys and with, like, an exaggerated, like, long arm on Jacob putting out the cigarette i think that's really neat i'm with you there and i think that yeah it and i like that like in the morning we've just come from this mystical world in the morning feels more natural of course but now yeah. we're letting light in and like those kind of angles make it look like it reminds us that they're coming to terms now with with us a little late they're like shit's off man our guy's missing yeah something's going on <laughs> yeah so I think that's a great panel. Like, hey, Simon never fucking came back. Like, <laughs> let's go get him. Any favorite panels for you? I really, uh, we, we blew past it because it's a really a lot going on in the story. But the festival, before we get to, like, the graveyard of them, like, dancing in this old graveyard or old, um, uh, I don't even know if it's a graveyard, but, like, I love it. Like a garden or something, like some kind of, you know. I love all the details. Like it was like a sculpture garden. Yeah. I love all the details in there. I love that they're dancing with a giant frog. I think that fucking frog is that frog. Yeah, rules. it's great. The frog and the goat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the one before that where they go outside of the chateau and they fly into the air. I love that fucking that splash of they're, like, they're all swirling up and there's birds and. I love the. C- I love the <sighs> too the like sense the like feeling of the wind with like this again the like dry brush strokes in the sky and also like the way that the dresses are being pulled by the wind and like there's like little wisps of wind through the air in front of them like i think it's really effective yeah and i like this idea that like they're not like these witches or these vampires almost are their magic is elemental like they can't just like any moment like pick up and like fly they're not like a superhero is like they literally have the elements like a special occasion yeah and the elements the the wind the earth is is helping them elevate levitate whipping them up into the air yeah i love that i think that's cool cool element and it just makes everything more eerie hell yeah uh i love that i mean i love all the coloring i just think the fact that again dave stewart jumps to another artist and he's able to build on what they bring and He's just the man. Like, he can really make, he really elevates anybody's art. Yeah. And, then, and not that they need it. It's just, he, he just comes to the table and is like, great, you brought this. Yeah. I, I mean, they it. could publish this in black and white. It would look really sick, but it's like, yeah, he just brings, as far as the storytelling, especially like giving each scene its own palette that distinguishes it and like drawing your eye to specific things. Like he's just so good at it. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones where it's like hard to find like there's so much that you could just walk through and point out and be like, this is a great totally. and we touched on a lot as we went. But I just love that's why like the last 
the mystical world of way he's coloring that that last page like the issue one's final page that going into the chateau gabriel and fabio's like or they're like art with with dave stewart and just this warmth that it brings is so cool I, I just love the idea that you can make something scary or feel off and eerie without having to, to always be shadow. Like this is a manner that yeah. is fully lit, but you're it's just something's off. And I know yeah. that's because they're 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 wearing dresses that are no longer in time period and those given things, but the art itself and the coloring still makes it feel strange and I love it. Totally, yeah. Uh it's just so cool. Good stuff. And I can't wait to see to read the rest of them, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 cool to see where, where this is gonna go because who knows? They just walked into some some fucking some coffins and yeah. eeriness for different it's reasons. Real. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. It feels like Anders has been like transported back in time too. Because that servant was not, or it's happening at the same time. I don't know. It's like there's this weird time loop fucking mysticism happening because the servant that got his that got hit by one of the women witches his mask is on the ground where it was left when we last when anders left and there right. and it's just like whoa what's going on there's Some so many like layers alternate universe shit yeah, yeah it's very cool yeah like he got transported to the past or something like that yeah overall very satisfied with this and the new art fits it. It makes it, they, they, they got yeah. a cool team to like build on this weird, this weird continuation of the early days of BPRD. Totally. Well, yeah. I could talk in fucking circles about it. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's great stuff. I'm very excited uh, for the next two issues to cover and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, you know what I watched that were pretty interesting on Amazon. They've got like a bunch of comic book documentaries right now. Oh, right. So I watched um, Chris Claremont's X-Men. Yes, you told me to watch that. I need to. Um, that was cool. And then the Image Revolution, and it's like just about the early days of Image Comics and has a lot of like interviews that are pretty interesting. I guess I didn't really know a ton about all of those guys before. Like, you know, like I know like of their art. Oh, yeah. But I didn't really know about. I was like, I mean, when did that shit happen? Like 93, 94? Like I would have been like five or six years old when all of that stuff was going down. So I like didn't know too much about all of that, but yeah, it's very super interesting. interesting to watch. Yeah. If you haven't, I would highly suggest in addition to those like documentaries, you should read like the unauthorized Marvel um, book. That's about the date Marvel. It goes through all of that and they're like exit. Those guys exit as well Cool. from Marvel. Oh, cool. The history of Marvel is fucking wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the Claremont's X-Men, it seemed it was just like back then it was like you could just fucking, you know, like draw one of those like, can you draw turtle tests? And like you could fucking end up working <laughs> at Marvel or some shit like they make it seem like, you know, anybody could just roll in. It was cool that like there were some like those two women who were so involved. I can't think of their names right off the off the bat, but like um, at least in X-Men, uh, I was like, oh, cool. There's like women at the beginning of. At not the very beginning, but close to the beginning of this uh, of X Men being kind of like revived and becoming super popular. Yeah, um, I, I think there's cool. a lot of women behind the scenes that people don't know about, but because you know, like lead singers, they put a lot of the artists and them ahead of all that stuff. Right. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure they get fucking 
paid. Like, I'm sure they're not, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems like the fucking best, actually, to be, like, making a lot of creative decisions and not getting bothered or something, you know? Yeah. Not that it's, like... <laughs> Not that you're always bothering somebody, like, by acknowledging their their work and being like, hey, good job, you know. But I'm sure, yeah. like, if you're, like, McFarlane, maybe you're not trying to run it, you know, talk to every single guy at the comic shop or something. Totally. I don't know. Uh, correction, the book that I was referencing is called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howell. So cool. you should check that out in addition to those. those. It's just a great I, – it's one of my favorite reads about comic books. Cool. Um, but I'll check out those documentaries too. They sound great. I don't have any. Yeah, I was like, while we read it, I was like, you know, it'd be fun to revisit, which is a very campy and sort of bad movie. But um, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> I gotta watch that. I, I, I really gotta watch it. It's it, it, it's it's good and then bad at the same time. It's almost you know it's campy. And, I'm fine with that. Uh, I, That's kind of a, one of my favorite movies. But they do. They do some fun stuff in it. So I, I <laughs> cool. Yeah. And you know, Gary Oldman's wild. And yeah. So check I mean, we were just I just watched Fifth Element last night. I love Gary Oldman. Hell yeah. Gary Oldman's the best. He's yeah, he's awesome. He's sort of I yeah, he's great one of those great actors that seems crazy possibly, but very nice. <laughs> yeah, like a nice yeah, very yeah, nice but crazy like- man. Yeah, like his characters are so bonkers, but like <laughs> as a person, he seems like he's an actual okay guy. Like he's not going to throw a latte at you or something. We hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it. I don't have any other like suggestions or any final thoughts other than I'm. Well, that's great. I really like the art. I just think I just want to just say kudos to I, any team that comes in like late after something is very vastly established. But I think yeah. Gabriel Bond and, and Fabio Moon really. They do, I don't know what what the conversations were, but they just don't come in shy, and I like that. They seem to work yeah. really well with with Dysart's and Mignola's script as well as Stewart's um, coloring. It seems like Mignola and his team are like really when they see an artist that they like, they really let them that artist lean into what they do well, which is which is great. Yeah, like they're not trying to make anybody like ape Mignola style. They're like trying to find people who are have a distinct style, but still like a sort of a gothic horror look that they can achieve. Yeah. They fit within the world, but they're not an imitation. I love. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. That's great. Great stuff. Um, excited to continue reading as I stated again. Um, yeah. But Hey listeners, we want your thoughts. What's something, you know, your thoughts about 1947 or anything we've discussed, please send it at, Send your thoughts to us. If you want them shared on the show, you can email us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. As well as you can follow us on Instagram at awcrapahellboypodcast, Twitter, awcraphellboy. You can comment um, on there as well. You can direct message us there. Just be aware that um, we will do our best and our darndest to always um, reply to those comments or direct messages. But if you want your thoughts on the show, you got to email us. Just keeps my insanity um, by making it that the rule <laughs> yeah but that's ah crap uh hellboy podcast at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you um as well as if you could please go out of your way to give us a, a rating and a review on whatever platform you listen to if they offer that option but if you go out of your way to go on to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review but mostly just rate and review on apple podcasts with a five-star review that starts with the word boom, 
We call that a boom review. And if you do give us a boom review, we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big old shout out and give you praise. If you would like some show stickers from us, um, we're also going to start sending out some cool, um, another like bonus, some art from a friend of the podcast, uh, Scott Stanley, that's about, you know, some um, podcast art to some other listeners that we've already interacted with. But if you want stickers and possibly that also art, just email us. You don't even, if you don't want just email us. Again, awcrap at a hellboypodcast at gmail.com. Um, that was a quick little plug that we have those to give you. And, yeah. But I think that's it for this episode, Kate. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, thank you all again out there for listening. And remember... We love you. Great. 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 We're going to do the whole, the whole <laughs> podcast and... In, in accents. <laughs> like, uh, choosing a Scottish accent for the Frenchest issues we've yeah. ever read. <laughs> Hi, Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead here. Each week on My Neighbors Are Dead, I talk to the tertiary characters real and imagined from your favorite horror films. But this summer, we're doing something different. We are taking you to the northern woods of Michigan, all the way up to Whitlow Lake, to bring you the original tale of the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. We're bringing back some fan favorites of the show as we try to piece together through interviews with survivors, witnesses, and with any luck, the killer Chad himself. We're going to try to piece together exactly what the hell happened up there at Camp Willow Lake. It starts June 22nd and it runs all summer long. That's the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.